Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. Um, this week, we're going to be tackling part two of our Engaging Culture series, okay, which is going to be on this question, should we try as Christians to legislate our morality? All right. Now, the answer right up front is absolutely yes, we should. Okay, yes, we should. What I'm going to do is I'm really going to try and answer a lot of these questions to give us very clear thinking on this issue, because you're going to hear this question and this accusation against Christians a lot, is they're trying to force their Christianity, they're trying to force their morality on us, and um, we need to, you know, we need to deal with this, and Christians need to have very clear thinking on this subject, otherwise you're just going to get discouraged, you're going to be, oh man, am I trying to force people to be Christian, (laughs) or am I trying to force my morality, shouldn't I give them freedom? We're going to talk about all those kind of issues today, okay? So here's the question, should Christians be trying to criminalize things like homosexuality, abortion, adultery, atheism. These are things that people are worried about. Okay. Oh my gosh. If those Christians were in charge, man, they would try to criminalize homosexuality. They try to criminalize adultery. Now to be clear up front, the only one of these that I think should be criminalized is abortion. All right. And I'm going to give exactly the reasons why and why we should not try to criminalize other things. But the point is You're going to hear, especially in the media, when they're talking about things like Christian nationalism, that Christians are accused of wanting to do this. If the Christians were in charge, oh my gosh, like they would try and do all all this stuff. They'd try to criminalize all this stuff. You know, we'd be in this crazy Christian theocracy. All right, all of this is like a smear against conservative Christians and what we believe. But a lot of Christians don't have clear thinking on this, and so I want to try and clarify as much as possible. All right. All right, the first thing that we need to understand is that both sides are trying to legislate their morality, okay? Both sides, Democrats, Republicans, progressives, Christians, Muslims, you know, atheists, everyone is trying to legislate their morality, all right? That's how this works, okay? Our laws are reflections of our national morality. Our laws reflect our national morality, all right? So to be clear, there are issues today that pretty much everyone's okay with legislating morality on. Things like abolition, meaning it is illegal today to own a slave, right? You can't own a slave and sell and barter slaves like you could before. That has been abolished. And um, generally speaking, everyone agrees that that's correct. Good thing we legislated morality. And I'll point out, as I always try and do on this issue, that it was Christians that led the abolition movement that pioneered it, that argued for it on the basis of Christian faith and biblical values, they made the case that slavery is morally wrong and they led to the abolition in the West, starting in Great Britain, then in countries like America and other Western Christian nations, and then these Christians abolished it all over the world. This is a Christian thing that now even non-Christians agree that they were right to quote-unquote legislate their morality, but it wasn't that way early on, okay? To be fair, there were Christians who thought that slavery was perfectly fine and biblically and morally justifiable, but today, almost nobody does, okay? All right, the other one that generally speaking people agree on is civil rights movement, okay? Things like Jim Crow laws, abolish those Jim Crow laws and stuff like that. Um, 
we all agree on this, okay? So the, the whole idea of that it's never okay to legislate morality, that's, that's garbage, okay? Everybody tries to legislate the morality, all right? People just don't like it when they try, when you try and put a foreign morality and legislate that, all right? A morality that I don't accept, you want to legislate it. But the, the reason why I'm pointing this out is because a lot of Christians get this thrown at them. Man, you're just trying to legislate your faith. You're just trying to force your morality and your faith on me. And we should be clear, everyone is trying to do this to some degree. Everyone's trying to do this to some degree. In fact, I would argue that today, in 2023, the progressive left is far worse about this than the conservative right, okay? The progressive left is far worse about this. What I mean by that is that the progressive left today is really trying to overturn many, if not most, of our constitutional protections, all right? They're trying to progress beyond our constitutional framework that we currently have today. And what do I mean by that? I mean today, very few progressives, if they're being honest, support free speech. Very few, okay? It's it's basically not acceptable, all right? Now, some of them will pay lip service to free speech. They'll say, of course I believe in free speech, but when you actually pin them down on what they really believe, um, it that's not what free speech is, okay? They're changing the definition in some cases of what free speech is, but generally speaking, they do not uphold and they do not believe in free speech. They do not believe in the First Amendment, which is the constitutional right that gives all of us a right to free speech, meaning the government should not criminalize things. But when people are talking about things like hate speech laws, okay, that is in that is a contradiction with free speech, okay? It is in direct violation of free speech, something like a hate speech laws. Because what you're doing is you're defining certain kinds of speech as being so bad in this case, hateful, that they deserve to be prosecuted, even though the whole point of free speech is that the government cannot, you know, cannot prosecute you, cannot put you in jail for something that you say, all right? Um, the left wants to be able to do that, okay? And that's not me, you know, making false accusations. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear, okay? In countries like Canada, where they do not have a First Amendment, they do have hate speech laws. In several European nations, where they do not have a First Amendment, they don't have a constitutional protection on their right to speech, there are hate speech laws, okay? So progressives in those nations actively pushed for that, and they made it happen. And they're trying to do that in America, okay? There's many attempts, and you can see that um, in the policies of many companies like Google, right, with YouTube, like Facebook, they have policies where if you say certain things, are they're considered hateful, and they will ban you or demonetize you from their platform. Things like misgendering, right? If you say that somebody is a he because that's their biological gender, but they claim now to be a she, and you refer to them as a he, that is misgendering, that's considered hate speech by many people on the left, and that will get you banned on many tech platforms, okay? That's a reflection of their morality, and you bet that if many of those people in charge of these companies were in charge of the nation and able to write the laws, um, of course they would be writing hate speech laws to try and criminalize um, people from saying, you know, things like misgendering or saying that homosexuality is a sin. Basically, every evangelical pastor would be put, you know, would be fined or put in jail for saying this type of stuff. And that is, that's standard now on the left. Okay, that is standard on the left. All right. Other ways that the left tries to push their morality on everybody, okay? Teaching homosexuality and transgenderism in schools. 
There's been huge protests lately over these issues because there is a pretty clear agenda on the left to indoctrinate children. Okay, a pretty clear um, agenda there. And the, the reason why I'm using that term indoctrination is because that's exactly what it is. Okay, the whole idea is that we need to teach children something that this is so important that we teach children that it doesn't matter what their parents believe. Okay, it's a, a deliberate disrespecting of parental rights to say that parents do not have the right to teach their children any morality that goes against the LGBT agenda today. Okay, that is happening for sure. Okay, that's for happening for sure. There is an agenda on the left to indoctrinate children. They want to do it in schools. They want to do it through media, through movies, through TV, through online you know, platforms, all this kind of stuff. There is an agenda, and that is a, an example of them trying to force their morality on the right that is happening. Gun control, okay? There's a clear example on the left of how they're trying to legislate their morality. They believe that everybody having a gun, it leads to all sorts of bad things like murders and mass shootings and stuff like that. And so they believe that we should forcibly remove the right to bear arms. That is the, that is a constitutional right. That's Second Amendment. Um, the left at this point is fully devoted to eradicating the Second Amendment, okay? <clears throat> My only point to bring this up is that when Christians are accused of trying to legislate their morality, they should be very clear that the left is saying that so that they can legislate their morality. All right, that's what's going on here, okay? So that's why Christians and people and conservatives on the right, we should not respect this argument at all in the sense that, oh, you know, we shouldn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to legislate morality. You're right, you should have the freedom to do whatever you want. No, no, that's not how any of this works. Okay, and of course, on the right, are we trying to legislate our morality in areas like abortion? Absolutely, absolutely, we are. Okay, we're trying to um, make abortion illegal. Although there is debate on uh, exactly when it should be illegal, um, I believe that it should be illegal after conception. But there are many conservatives that would argue that it should be illegal after six weeks, some after twelve weeks, some even later than that. Um, the de facto position on the left today is that. You know, abortion should be legal up to birth, and some would even argue even post-birth, a week or two after birth, that the physician and the mom should have the right to kill their baby. Okay? I think that should be illegal. Okay? This is a clear example where we are trying to legislate our morality. All right? Now, the question is this. Where? Where should we forcibly try to stop people, and where should we give people freedom? That is where the debate is. Everybody's trying to do this, okay? So now the, the follow-up question for us Christians is, where should we try and give people freedom, and where should we try and stop them, okay, forcibly using the force of the law, all right? Now, as we talk about this, I need to be clear that this can be somewhat dangerous in the sense that there is a danger of us utilizing the power of government to forcibly stop people from doing what we think are evil things, and but that can become tyrannical and abusive. Absolutely it can. Okay, On both sides, there's a potential for tyranny here. And we should have a strong value for liberty. Um, liberty is America's founding value. Okay, It's the most important value of our founding. And it's the whole idea, when, when we talk about liberty, liberty from who? From what? From the government. Okay, that's what it's implied when we're talking about America's founding value of liberty. Okay, so America was founded on the belief that the government should be weak. We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a little bit. 
But as Christians, I believe we should recognize this is an important and good value. So we should be careful not to use the power of government more than necessary. Okay, We should be careful that we do not become tyrannical, and we should be honest about the ways that Christians have been overly tyrannical in the past. Okay, Now, to be clear, it's not just Christians. Okay, It's basically anybody that's in power, anybody that has great power over others, is very tempted to become tyrannical. Okay, and that has happened in many different societies. It's been much worse in non-Christian societies, I would argue, throughout history, but as Christians, we should also acknowledge that there have been times in the past where Christians have been in power and we have become tyrannical. That is um, a real thing that happens, and it's just dangerous. Power corrupts. Okay, that is the founding belief of our of our founding fathers, and we should absolutely acknowledge that. Okay, so as Christians, we acknowledge that true faith in God cannot be coerced, and um, we're not going to try and force anybody to be Christian. All right, but we believe it's important to try to convince people to be Christian and to honor Jesus' commands, all right? We believe that that that's called evangelism, all right? And trying to convince people of the rightness of the Bible and the rightness of biblical commands, that's absolutely part of our job, and that's important and that's good, okay? And that's why when people say, quit trying to force your morality on me, no, okay? I'm not saying you have to badger a single person, okay? If somebody doesn't want you to try and convince them as an individual, that's fine. But does that mean that you shouldn't try to convince others? Of course not. Of course not. You absolutely should be trying to convince as many people as you can, all right, that are willing to be convinced, all right? And if somebody is doesn't want you to, to continue to try to convince them, yeah, of course, then we respect their right, you know, in, we respect their freedom in that sense, and we're not going to just badger someone to death. Nobody appreciates that, okay? And, and we as Christians, generally speaking, don't believe that that's fruitful, all right? But we should continue to fight in the public sphere for as many people to honor biblical values and biblical commands as possible that is part of our Christian duty, okay? Now, here's the principle when it talks about, when we talk about legislation, all right, that we should understand as Christians, all right? The vast majority of conservative Christians do not seek to criminalize non-Christian belief or behavior insofar as it does not harm non-participants, okay? So the principle here is this. If you want to sin and you're not hurting anybody else with your sin, all right, then we, generally speaking, believe that you should have the freedom to do that. I mean, we don't want the government to have the power to beat you down and to force you to, you know, to do what I think is right if it's not hurting other people, okay? That's the general rule of thumb that we as Christians follow, okay? So when we're looking back on that list here, what we recognize is that, generally speaking, these things do not harm others. Now, of course they do, Right, of course they do in a way. Like all of our morality influences other people, and so I wish that nobody would practice any sins. Okay, I wish that nobody would practice any sins. But I make a distinction, just like all Christians do. We make a distinction between sins that are actively harming others and sins that are not actively harming others. And generally speaking, we do not try to criminalize sins that are not actively harming others. Okay, so if things like homosexuality, I believe that it's wrong. Most Christians, evangelical Christians, believe that it's wrong. But generally speaking, most evangelical Christians do not believe that we should criminalize people engaging in homosexual activities, right, as long as they're not actively harming others. Okay, yeah, you want to do it on your own? Go ahead, okay? Um, 
Abortion is different on, on that list. Abortion is different because abortion does actively harm another person. And that's what the pro-life argument is. That the fetus is a baby. It's a person. And when the mother chooses to kill another person, it is actively harming another person. And therefore, we want to enact legislation that protects the life of the other person. That's the entire pro-life argument, which is why it is not an honest argument when you know pro-choice people on the left will make the argument that you know Christians or conservatives hate women, and that's why we want to dominate and control women, and that's why we want to make abortion illegal. Okay, that's a dishonest argument. It's not being honest. All right, no, we're doing it to protect another person. Okay. All right. And lastly, on this point, I'll simply say Christians are called to be salt and light to their nations, to influence them to righteousness by example, and we're willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness. So even though we understand that we're going to be, you know, um, not believed, in some cases slandered, we're still going to continue to fight for what's right, um, not trying to coerce people to do what's right, but fight to speak the truth in love. That's our job, to speak the truth in love, even if it costs us. Okay. Now, what we have to understand about this whole debate is oftentimes we're dealing with issues of changing definitions. Okay. The left, they actively change definitions to cause confusion in these types of discussions. The classic example is racism, right? So, you know, what I mean by racism is, is like the classic definition of racism, which is, you know, you, you hate somebody or you dislike somebody because of their race or the color of their skin or something like that. Okay. That's classic understanding of racism. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about when he says, I want my children to grow up in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. All right, that is a statement that I 100% agree with because he's using the classic definition of racism. All right, when many woke and progressive people today talk about racism, that's not the definition they're talking about. Okay, they're talking about a Marxist definition of racism that is focused more on systemic racism rather than individual racism. And what I mean by that is that, you know, a, a progressive will accuse somebody like Larry Elder. Larry Elder is a black conservative talk show host. All right. They will accuse him of being a white supremacist. Many people are like, what? That doesn't make sense. Okay, that doesn't make sense because you're still using the um, classic definition of racism you know the one that i use okay they're using a different definition of racism okay for them larry elder is a racist because he opposes trying to implement marxist policy to fix systemic racism from their perspective okay so because larry elder is fighting against marxist attempts to fix issues of systemic racism that makes him a racist that makes him a white supremacist even though he's black it's because they're, they've changed the definition and a lot of times people don't understand that and so they just hear oh larry elder's a racist oh well i'm not going to listen to it. like this is this is what a lot of people on the left do they they just make accusations character assassinations you know ad hominem attacks and because they're not being honest a lot of times and are actually trying to deal with the specific issue and reason with somebody convince people they're just convincing people through oh this guy's just a racist write him off write off anything that he says okay it's a very dishonest form of discussion but this is standard tactics on the left at this point okay now the reason why i bring this up is because this matters when we're talking about the issue of the separation of church and state okay 
separation of church and state um, has a specific meaning. But the way that it's used often by people on the left today is a different meaning. They're infusing a different meaning into this phrase. Okay, so many people today will argue that faith and Christianity should be kept out of public life, meaning that we should have no influence or mention of anything Christian in the law. We should have no mention of anything Christian in school expression, like prayer, like if you pray at school, that should be illegal because we need a separation of church and state. You're going to hear this argument all the time. That argument makes no sense based off of the historic definition of that phrase, but they're changing the definition. That's what we need to understand. They're changing the definition, okay? So to understand this issue, we have to understand the historic meaning first, okay? So this this phrase, separation of church and state, was first coined, really, by Thomas Jefferson in a letter that he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1802. And what he's talking about in this letter is he's talking about how the government will not persecute this Christian denomination, okay? That Christians will have the freedom to practice their religion in their particular interpretations of Scripture, and the government shall have no power to persecute them or to prosecute them on the basis of some kind of of law, all right? That's what he means, all right? What this phrase historically has meant is that the government shall not establish a particular religion, okay? It It shall let people practice their religion how they want, all right? And there will be no, um, political power for clergy, okay? Because again, in Europe, the way it worked is that if you wanted to be king or prince, oftentimes you needed the blessing of, you know, the cardinal or the pope or, you know, the priest or whomever. And so what happened is there was all of this politics in church, in the church. And nobody wanted that in the American system. I don't want that, all right? And so I believe as a current conservative Christian today, I believe in the separation of church and state. I do not want clergy members holding political power, and I do not want the establishment of any particular religion in our nation, okay? I I believe in the separation of the church and state in the same way that Thomas Jefferson believed in it, okay? Um, when leftists today use that term, the separation of church and state, to say how prayer shouldn't be allowed in schools, they are radically changing the use of that term. Okay, what they are actually meaning is that the state should uphold an atheist or humanist system of faith. All right, that's what they mean. They mean that the the state should be secular. All right, that's not that is absolutely not what Thomas Jefferson meant. That's absolutely not what any of the founding fathers meant. Okay, Christianity is deeply embedded into the entire legal system into the entire system of government that our founding fathers erected, okay? We're going we're gonna to talk about this in just a second. But it can't mean that. It can't mean that the government and everything the government does is supposed to be atheist or humanist. That's, that can't be what it means because our founding fathers did not practice that and did not implement it in that way, okay? So when we're talking about, you know, prayer in schools is a good example because, you know, a lot of people don't know this who are, are younger today. But in American schools, it used to be, up until the 1960s, that you would start every day with prayer, okay? You start every day with prayer, and you would 
recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, in the Pledge of Allegiance, it explicitly talks about God, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? It, God is in there, okay? God is in our money, right? In God we trust, printed on our money, okay? All of this would violate what leftists and progressives mean by a separation of church and state today. That's because they're changing the definition. When they say that, they mean the government should be atheist or humanist, and that's something that Christians should actively fight against, all right? So when people are like, oh, there should be no prayer in schools, should Christians agree with that? Of course not. Of course not. Of course there should be prayer in schools. All right? Of course there should be prayer in schools. Because as Christians, we believe that Christian value is something that we should be fighting for in our schools, in our government, in everything. Now, to be clear, we clearly do not believe that we should coerce anybody to participate in these things, all right? If the teacher starts with prayer, starts the day with prayer, should people be free to refrain from that? Well, of course they should be, okay? No Christian that I know wants everyone to be forced to engage in prayer, to be forced to give thanks, all that kind of stuff, okay? But if we're talking about should these Christian values be embedded in our public life, the answer is 100% yes, Okay, and that answer is the exact same answer that almost every single leader of our nation believed in and fought for since its inception. Okay, it's only in the past maybe 100 years or less, 50, 60 years, that there's been this, this widespread belief that we should eradicate Christianity from public life. Okay, but if you look at almost all the historic you know, institutions of our government and our American way of life, they're all filled with Christianity. And that's something that Christians should continue to fight for. Again, not to force it on anybody, but to say why these things are good and healthy and they result in blessing for everyone. All right? They result in blessing for everyone. So many examples of this. Um, but I, I, I want to give, you know, a, a handful of examples for us to see that this is the case. Okay? The Declaration of Independence, all right? This is really important. The Declaration of Independence was our initial, um, you know, document that gave our justification for declaring independence from England, okay? And this is really the foundation of American thought, all right? This document is the foundation of American thought because the, the Founding Fathers were giving their rationale for why they felt justified in declaring independence from England and establishing their own government. These are the reasons why they initially established government the way that it was, all right? And this is what it says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, so pause. So initially, it's it's they're asserting there is a creator that has given us unalienable rights as all all men, as individuals, okay? That is embedded into our foundation of belief. This is the, the, the foundation of our entire legal system, all right? And it goes on. And to, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Okay? So this is why when people ask, is, is America a Christian nation? Okay? The answer is yes. 
The answer is yes, America is a Christian nation because our entire form of government and law is established on Christian assumptions. All right. Now, that's a different thing. Was If you're not a Christian, can you live here? And the answer is yes, of course. Okay. Yes, we're a, we're a Christian nation that believes in freedom and in welcoming all. All right. That is America. Okay. And that's what we're fighting for. So when people, you know, say, oh, these Christian nationalists believe that America is a Christian nation, what they're really implying is that America should be a theocracy. It's a smear tactic that I'm going to get into in just a little bit. Okay. We're going to dig into all of that. But what I want to establish up front is that, yes, America is a Christian nation in the sense that Christian values and beliefs are the foundation for our entire system. And everything's built atop that Christian foundation. So if you try to remove the Christian foundation, the the entire society that's built on top of it cannot thrive. And that's why we as Christians should be fighting for these foundational values, for us to honor these foundational values. And that's what conservatism is. Okay, as conservatives, we are we are fighting to conserve the founding values of our nation because we they, we believe they're essential to the continued flourishing of the nation. Okay, in this case, in the Declaration of Independence, the whole idea here is that God has given us rights, and and because we believe that the government of England had infringed upon those rights, we therefore had the right to rebel against that government and establish a new government that would honor those rights, okay? That is America's founding philosophy, all right? It's not just the, it's not just the Declaration of Independence. Okay, what we're going to see is that many of the founding fathers, I'm going to focus in on George Washington because he has some amazing quotes that really lay all of this out. Okay, what we should understand about George Washington is that he believed that the revolution was ordained by God. Okay, he believed the revolution was ordained by God. He felt like he saw many signs throughout the fight with England that God was on the side of the American rebels because he wanted this new nation to be established. All right. He's got a quote here. He's got several quotes on this subject. I just picked out this one. It says here, the man must be bad indeed who can look upon the events of the American Revolution without feeling the warmest gratitude towards the great author of the universe whose divine interposition was so frequently manifested in our behalf. Okay, what he means is that, look, I was the general of the American forces and I saw God working on our behalf. I saw miraculous events where the Lord interposed on the behalf so that we would be victorious, okay? And then he goes on, he says, and anyone who doesn't believe that is bad indeed. That's what he says, okay, in this quote, all right? Second quote I have here, the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained, okay? What are you saying is that in order for any nation to flourish, they must discern the true will of God and then put those, that will into practice. That's what he's saying. My point in bringing these these quotes is that by any definition of the way that the left uses the term today, George Washington was absolutely a Christian nationalist, okay? And so were almost all of the founding fathers, okay? They were, almost all of them were, were clearly Christian nationalists in the sense that that accusation is levied against Christians today, all right? A couple more quotes, all right? 
It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Okay, this is George Washington saying this, okay? This is the duty of all nations. All nations should be doing this, acknowledging, right, God, obeying his will, being grateful for his blessings, and humbly imploring his protection and favor, all right? And then the last quote I have here, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle, okay? So this is, what he's saying is that we cannot hope to be a moral people if religion is dishonored, okay? And that's a position of many people on the left, I would say of pretty much everyone on the left today, okay? They would all argue that we can be a moral people without religion. And George Washington was very explicit that that is not possible. Okay, my my only point in bringing up all of these is that George Washington was a Christian nationalist, as were the vast majority of the founding fathers. And this is the last thing I want to tackle today: is that many Christians they get accused of being Christian nationalists, but we have to understand this is a loaded term. Okay, this is a loaded term. All right, the way that many people on the left use this term is they're going to argue that these Christian nationalists, which they're going to basically accuse everyone of, on the right of being is th- these are Christians that want America to be a Christian theocracy right meaning they want to criminalize all non-christian belief and behavior and this is a, a flat out lie this is a flat out lie okay our nation has essentially been run by Christian nationalists for a long time and the whole point of these Christian nationalists is that they wanted to extol and you know honor Christian values and ideals while being welcoming and inclusive and saying, hey, but you don't have to be a Christian to be here. We believe that Christian values are so beneficial that if we live by them, it's going to bless everyone in our nation. And that is exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. It's the reason why America has is now the most rich, most free, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. It's because of the Christian values, okay? And there is now a counter-narrative to that, all right? The counter-narrative says that America was founded on values of white supremacy to benefit white people, and only white people were blessed because they exploited and took advantage of all these other people, and that's, you know, that's America's history. That is a, a crock. That is a load of garbage, okay? But that is the narrative that is now being preached um, at the schools, at the universities, all right? It's being preached through the legacy media and all this kind of stuff, okay? That's garbage. We as Christians today should understand that that is a false narrative. It's false, Okay? There's so many ways to debunk that. I'm just going to give a quick one. All right, 95% of the slaves from the African slave trade all right, went to other countries other than North America. The vast majority of slaves okay, went to the Middle East, to the Ottoman Empires, went to South America, to Brazil, went to these other places, and they did not thrive like America thrived. Okay, So to make the argument that it's slavery and exploitation of, of black people and Native Americans, that's why America's so rich... No, so many other countries in the world were, were doing exploitation so much more than America was, okay? It's, it's a garbage narrative. It's totally garbage. America was blessed because of its righteous values, 
okay? It's Christian values. That's what caused great blessing. And we believe that, okay? We believe, as conservative Christians, we believe that America will be blessed insofar as it practices righteous values, all right? And that's why we as Christians have to continue to fight for biblical values, all right? Matthew 5, we are the salt of the earth, all right? We preserve our nations. We preserve them. And um, but if we lose our saltiness, then it's we're we're good for nothing, all right. And we deserve to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is speaking of how we deserve to share in the judgments of our nations, okay? Because the whole idea, when the Bible talks about God being sovereign, all right, what that means is that God rules over the nations and He exalts righteous nations and He tears down wicked ones, okay? That is a, a solid biblical value that you're going to see. And our job as the people of God is to infuse and influence our nation with righteousness so that God will bless our nation, okay? That's our job, right? And it warns us that when nations become rich and wealthy, they tend to become arrogant and forget about the Lord. And that's where we're at in our nation's history right now, right? Where our nation has largely taken for granted all these blessings and is now trying, is, is starting to you know, demean God and ridicule him and be proud of its rebellion and all this kind of stuff. And our job as Christians is to continue to fight for biblical values, all right? So do not be dissuaded, intimidated, or discouraged by any of these types of accusations, all right? The accusation that we're trying to legislate our morality, the accusation that we're trying to force our morality on others, the argument that we're Christian nationalists, right? That, you know, we don't believe in the separation of church and state. All of these are lies, okay? All of these are lies, and they're not true. We are doing exactly what our forefathers did, okay? What our founding fathers did. We are doing, we're following in their tradition, and we are fighting for the general blessing of all, okay? Understanding our battle, our war, is not primarily with people on the left, okay? That's not our war. Our war is not against flesh and blood, okay? But it's against spiritual forces of wickedness that manipulate and deceive these people, all right? So we're committed to forgiving them, to loving them, all right? but to speaking the truth in love, even though it costs us at times, all right? And what we should understand as Christians is that the superpower of the people of God is not that they always win the battle in their generation. That's not what you see, okay? Oftentimes, the people of God stand for truth in their generation, and they suffer for it, and they're disrespected, and they're disregarded, and they're slandered, and they're persecuted, and sometimes they're killed, and they're martyred, all right? The superpower of the people of God is that their words linger on in history. Their words linger in eternity. So even if they're disrespected in their own generation, their words bear fruit for future generations. And that's exactly what we see throughout biblical history. That's exactly what Jesus modeled, right? In his own time, he was rejected, he was cursed, he was tortured, he was he was persecuted and prosecuted, and he was martyred. And now he's honored by many all around the world as being, you know, the model and the example and the one that we should follow. That wasn't the case in his own time. It wasn't the case in his own time for the the apostles who were also, most of them were martyred and killed and persecuted, okay? It wasn't the case for Jeremiah, the prophets of the Old Testament who were rejected for the most part in their own time periods, but in later time periods were honored, okay? That is how we win the battle. 
Okay, we don't win it through coercion. We don't try and force people. We understand that there's a time to suffer for the sake of righteousness, but we're determined that we're going to speak the truth in love no matter what happens, okay, and that God will vindicate us in his time. All right, that's our job. And so that's my encouragement to all believers. Don't be discouraged. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. Continue to speak the truth in love. Continue to fight for righteousness in our nation, even if it seems like it's a losing battle. No. All of our work will bear fruit in due time. Scripture says, do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Amen? All right. God bless.